Welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. I'm Simon Delarue and my guests on this podcast today are the former Chief Minister Deputy Gavin St Pierre and the current Chief Minister Deputy Peter Fairbrush. Uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we are here clearly to talk about the tax review phase two, part two, which yep. is the February States meeting. Um, the last election was on the 7th of October 2020. The next election is to take place in June 2025. Um, we don't know the date in that month, but uh, let's say for the sake of argument, it's going to be on the, in the middle of the month, the 15th. That means today marks the halfway point between the last election and the next election. Um, and uh, so that is a, a, a it's all downhill from now i suppose you could say um but one of the one of the chief things i think everybody's agreed that you as our deputies need to sort out is the structural deficit and this is obviously the mechanism by which you propose to do so uh now we uh shouldn't go, revisit the entirety of your uh, option A, which is still your preferred option, Deputy Fairbrush, yep. in terms of a, a GST of 5%, a, a new income tax band at uh, 15%, social security reforms, an increase of the uh, income tax allowance, etc., etc. Um, I think most people, hopefully by now, are, are across yep. that. I understand. Uh, also, we've had the fair alternative, which, uh, Deputy St. Pierre, you've been uh, instrumental in bringing about, which was defeated at the uh, January debate. Um, but now we have have um, at the moment this option B that is to be considered. Before we go any further, Deputy Fairbrush, could I ask you in perhaps two to four minutes to um, summarise for us what is in this option B that's going to be before members? Yeah, it's, uh, I probably don't need all that time because it's a social security because what happened with option A is that the current proposals is that social security, uh, the contributions would have to raise by 19 million uh, instead of 34 million, which the states approved back, I think, about October 21, uh, it would go back to 34 million under option B, but uh, ESS would have to look at it and come up with, and there'd be discussions, etc., as to how that's structured, you know, whether you, uh, you look at certain benefits. And let me hasten to add, I personally am not in favour of, in any way, interfering with uh, what I still call the old age pension and means testing that. That's not it. But we look at various benefits, see what you can do. Also, TRP increase of, uh, in real terms, 50% over the next four or five years. Uh, transport taxes, uh, looking at that. Uh, raising the level of savings from 10 to 16 million, or a range of 10 to 16 million. Those are the key type proposals in that. And then there are other things like having uh, subcommittees of PR to look at um, uh, savings, um, uh, just general what services we provide, etc., etc., but on a pretty tight time frame for them to come back and uh, report to PNR, and then PNR brings any proposals for the states for their consideration. There's more to it than that, but that's a brief summary. Yeah, and um, although uh, it's it's important to say that in that first debate in January, we didn't get to your main proposals, because no. we were still talking about no. all the amendments, which you're still in favour of. Uh, has option A changed in any way that we should know about? There have been some t minor changes, not the key principles that you outlined succinctly. I mean, we do put in, for example, uh, that there would be a commitment not to raise uh, a GST for 10 years. Now, people like Gavin quite properly will say, well, you can't bind the future states, etc., etc. But it's also written in uh, that, again, if approved by the states, uh, that uh, there would have to be a two-thirds majority in any event to increase uh, increase GST. Right, and, and, and is that 
Is that is it possible to enshrine that in law insofar as it's, it's impossible? To, it's, it's not impossible. It's impossible to enshrine the first bit into law. You can make a statement of intent. Yeah. Uh, I, I doubt that Gavin would disagree with me but, that that. But, but it's a statement of public intent, and it would be a yeah. state's resolution, so it would have some value. The second bit would be enshrined in law. Okay, so um, it wouldn't be possible for a future state by a simple majority to overturn the two-thirds rule. Well, what, what happens with the two-thirds rule is that you have a. Uh, uh, if you can't get it, you, you, it's a two-stage process. You have a two-thirds rule, and then you have a, a simple majority. Okay. But okay. I'm not saying it's impossible. It just makes it more difficult. Yeah. Uh, it, we make reference to the reform law in that proposed part of the amendment, really because the fear for quite a few people in relation to GST is that you bring it in at 5% and next year it's 7%, in three years' time it's 10%. Jersey brought this in at 3%. It quickly rose to 5%, but up nine, 10 years, however many years, they've, they've stuck at 5%. That doesn't mean, of course, that would bind Guernsey. I can just say that this PNR uh, and Deputy Roffey, who supports us throughout, are of the mind that five uh, percent means five percent, and it doesn't mean any early rise in that uh, level of tax. Okay, and just briefly before we uh, before I seek uh, Deputy St Pierre's opinion of option B, there is also an option C. Yeah, which is um, which cut, kind of cut. looks as though it's a sort of these are the consequences if you well, don't go for these others. And that's that's exactly right. I mean, it, a decision has consequences. If the states are not willing to uh, make a credible uh, tax-gathering exercise in some form or fashion, then there will be a time when money runs out. I don't want to scaremonger. Project Fear, somebody's called it, which is nonsense. We're not going to run out of money tomorrow or next year or the year after, but we're looking at projections for what's going to happen in the forthcoming, in, in, in a, not too many years, and we're looking at the population bulge or you know the people getting elderly like me uh, and that's going to grow those numbers are going to grow between now and 2040. Okay uh, Deputy St Pierre uh, your take and that of your uh, fellow deputies with whom you've been closely working on this um, of option B. I, I mean I think the, the uh, the amendment is to be welcomed in that it, it, it does reflect the debate that's taken place so far, and 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 uh, we should acknowledge PNR's attempt to, to try and reflect that in in accepting that their original proposals have uh, are struggling. Um, having said that, uh, I think the option B uh, contains a number of, of fundamental flaws that are a problem uh, uh, for us. Um, the uh, Peter's mentioned one, which is which is the the proposal to look at contributory benefits, and in particular. Um, the, the, the largest contributory benefit is the state's pension. Um, this was something that was looked at in some depth um, in 2014-15, ahead of the Personal Tax Pensions and Benefits Review. And it, it's the one thing that is um, perhaps even more clearly anchored in the public consciousness than GST. Their opposition to GST is their opposition to tinkering with a right to the contributory benefit that comes from um, the state's pension uh, because people clearly believe that there is um, a link between their contributions and that benefit. So I think it's, um, that is, it will be a massive bridge too far. Um, the rely, over-reliance on Social Security contributions, I, I think, puts a, a very heavy burden uh, particularly on on the business community and on, on employers, so I think there are there are some fundamental um, barriers which which mean that option B is not particularly attractive. Um, 
your next question, and let, let, let me get to it before you do, is what do we think of option C? I think really, to some extent, sharing Peter's view that, that, that actually it, it's there because uh, in the absence of anything else, then um, PNR have wanted to present something. But I mean, it's, it's deeply unattractive and, and I would suggest pretty well undeliverable in so, terms of its impact. Deeply on unattractive to both sides, I would imagine. Yeah, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. But we're saying if we don't get anything, what we must do next week, this coming week, is come out, the states must come out with something credible. I hope it's option A, but whether it's option B or Gavin's coming up with an option D, we've discussed it this morning. Uh, he, I, Deputy Salisbury, Deputy uh, Murray from PNR and the State Treasurer had a meeting at nine o'clock this morning, which was a productive meeting. Uh, and we're going to have further discussions over the next few days in relation to that. But whether it's option B, D, or somebody might come up with an E and an F, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. We've got to come up with something credible at the end of next week. We should probably warn our listeners that there is the possibility that option A gets thrown out and then option B gets thrown out and then option C gets thrown out and nothing is decided. I know you've, you've raised that spectre yep. and talked about it. That is a possibility. Yes. Uh, something uh, has to be decided. And if, if the vote is no on all things, then we just haven't moved anywhere. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, Deputy and PR, I had the impression I interrupted you there. You hadn't quite finished on your observations on options B and C. Yeah, I, no, I think the the other concern that we we have with the whole approach, both in the original policy letter and indeed in the amendment, is the uh, the approach which PNR have taken is to address the entire structural deficit that's predicted for 2040. That's the, the sort of predi um, predication of the the policy letter needs to be addressed now in 2023. And the fundamental difference, sort of philosophical difference, between the fairer alternative approach and PNR's approach is we take the view that there needs to be a more staged um, uh, process to this. So there are some decisions we need to make next week in terms of an immediate package of, of measures, but there is quite a lot of additional work that needs to be done, um, at which should commence immediately that will then inform this, the, the decisions required around the second stage. So that that structure that we had in the original Federal Alternative Amendment is something that we r remain committed to and, and absolutely will appear in um, our option D that, that, that Peter's hinted at that, that we're now working on. Okay, so the, the, the pill doesn't need to be this big that we have to swallow right now, you're effectively saying? That is exactly it. That's but exactly it. But do you agree that ultimately the, the ailment is the same? And that is to say, are, is your assessment of the future structural deficit uh, in alignment with the Treasury team, which is well, obviously the information that uh, PNR are going with? It's a very good question. And the answer is, we are all agreed that there is a long-term challenge. But I don't think we're all agreed on exactly what the scale of that number is. And again, that's um, one reason why additional work needs to be done. For example, um, the extent of the capital uh, expenditure programme, how it's to be managed over what time frame and also what the alternative funding mechanisms are, do make a difference to your uh, calculation of that final um, number of what the size of the structural deficit is. So that's one example. But there are other, uh, the, the question about the uh, nature of the public services we provide and how we provide them, to what extent we commission out to others, Th those pieces of work um, uh, need to be done that help inform your answer to the to the question you've just asked, which is what is the size of the final structural deficit? So 
we are agreed there is a, a challenge, which is why we need to get on and, and, and agree on the first stage of a, a package of measures. We need to do further work to, to, to address the second second part. There's always work you must do. There's always a, you know, the continuum continues, if that makes sense. Uh, but there comes a time when you've got to make some hard decisions. Uh, now, Gavin was uh, the previous president of PNR, previous chief minister, and he brought something to the States in January 2020 called the Review of the Fiscal Policy Framework and Fiscal Pressures. And that was debated. I was part of the States at that time. The States signed up to it. There were seven key principles. There was one amendment, because what Gavin was saying was, look, we've recently reconfigured uh, how we look at uh, GDP. Uh, because it was recalculated in about 2017, 2018, whenever it was. So therefore, we shouldn't be looking at the, the state's resolution at that time of, of having 3% of GDP set aside for infrastructure projects, you know, money to set aside. We should reduce it to a minimum of one and a half. Uh, Deputy Roffey brought an amendment saying it should be not less than 2% average over eight years rather than one and a half. Uh, I didn't vote for that amendment. Deputy Salisbury voted for that amendment. It was passed by 19 votes to 17. And Deputy... Uh, uh, I'm sure he, he remembers these words writ large in his brain. Uh, Deputy St. Pierre said, I agree with the remarks made by Deputy Kuttelvasher and Deputy Furbrush. And they've hit the nail on the head. Uh, that it means that we're talking about a minimum of 1.5%. Uh, you know, and we'll look at the facts as they go along. The fact in relation to that is that uh, we, I don't mean uh, under Gavin's tutelage or under mine or anybody else, we, the states of Guernsey, over a number of years, have not invested enough money in the infrastructure of the island. Uh, there's been a whole range of reasons for that. There's no point looking backwards. We've got to look forwards. And we do need to spend quite a lot of money on infrastructure projects. I mean, over the next few years, we've got, quotes, budgeted uh, something like 580 million or thereabouts of uh, infrastructure projects. For example, probably the biggest in cash terms, Gavin, correct me if I'm wrong, is hospital phase two. It's 180, 190 million pounds. That's a big chunk of money. We're doing phase one at the moment. That finishes at about the summer of 24. And the intent would be... Uh, that uh, we would look at uh, starting phase two probably in early 25. Now, maybe the states are going to be saying in any event, uh, we've got to look at that to see if we can afford to spend that 180 million then or we've got to put it off. And there are other things. There are certain things we have got to do that we've got to spend that money the proverbial tomorrow. And what Gavin said in that debate, in the policy letter which he led, was that we've got a real problem, we've got to address it, now is the time to address it. I don't really understand the reason for the change uh, in relation to it. Ideas about high net worth people making more contribution, all in favour of that. Other ideas that Gavin discussed, Gavin and Heidi discussed rather this morning, we, we've already thought about those, but if they've got to be writ large so that the states can see them and realise they've got to be addressed, I think that's an excellent idea. They've got to be done anyway, but they don't go to the core, they don't address the fully the core principle that we need money now, but albeit in the context that I expressed earlier, that you know the states are still going to be paying its bills in years to come. So fundamentally, one of the one of the differences between the two perspectives here is is that um, you know, you're saying we can't go on underspending on capital infrastructure. So the expenditure we're going to need in the future has to be funded with this tax review. Yeah. Um, but the uh, opposite view, it seems, Deputies and Pierre, is, uh, if I've got you right on this, is that, uh, sure, we've underspent, but there's no point planning for catching up on that when our island's construction industry and other infrastructure just can't spend that amount of capital um, in, an, in a given year. Yeah, but is just, that before, is just before that? Gavin asks <laughs> right. that, the fact is, 
nobody's suggesting that you go into a heated construction industry and pay over the top because you know uh, it's supply and demand isn't it if the if the uh, you can't get the builders but you save up for it you put money aside for that for when when times are more uh, balanced in relation to that uh, you know as individuals uh, if we want something we finance it in two ways we either save up for it or we borrow money to pay for it. Okay, so two questions: Where, where do, you, where, in which account do we save for that? What's that? What's that account called? Uh, well, we've got various capital reserve funds. We've got. We've also got a rainy day fund, but it does not call that anymore. Right, but so uh, what are the how, things in how, the rainy, how are they looking at the moment? Those funds. Well, the rainy day fund's got about 175 million ish, somewhere between 175 and 170. But that's not the only one that we, we, no, we no, draw on well, for we've got capital projects. Capital reserve. We've got enough to pay for the 500. And, 7580 million over the next four or five years we've got enough money for that we've got very little left after that uh very i think 120 150 million that sounds a lot of money but it isn't we've got in the rainy day fund about at the moment about circa 175 million there's a state's resolution which goes back some years which said that should be a hundred percent of uh your revenue costs which our revenue costs this year will be 582 million so we're 400 million short there being realistic, I do not ever, Gavin may disagree, I don't see us ever getting from 180 million to 580 million, but we should make a bigger provision for that. We did need money, very well handled, uh, I think under Gavin's tutelage and I, I think under our tutelage, we did need money when we had the COVID thing, we had suddenly had to pay bills that nobody could realistically expect we had to pay. In fact, we didn't have to pay as much as we could have done, but it's still run into some millions of pounds. We've got to have that money available. Deputy Cynthia? Yes, I mean, I think the, the, the issue about capital is, is we have made the point, uh, as you've indicated in your question, that there is a, a challenge around the delivery of, of projects. Having said that, clearly the island needs the infrastructure the island needs. And so, but the, the, the challenge for us is understanding the uh, phasing of that. In other words, if like when the, the, the bills are going to fall due and how... And, but there's also a question about how you choose to fund those projects and what the alternative um, routes are. Now, Peter's indicated um, that there are two methodologies. You fund it out of your savings, as he said, in other words, out of general taxation that's raised year in, year out. And that is the, the premise on which the policy letter has been built. Or you uh, fund them out of borrowings, which is really how, frankly, how the rest of the world funds its capital expenditure. Uh, and then there's a, there's a third um, sort of blend, I suppose, which is you know, you, you, the concept of working with the private sector. So you actually um, uh, have the public and private sectors working together, which effectively means um, the, there is a, 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 the public sector is, is needing to pay for that in terms of the return to the private sector. But those are broadly your three alternatives for capital projects. Now, uh, the history of Guernsey has been to do everything always out of savings. And uh, out of the jam jar on the shelf that we've called capital reserve, we've put in X million each year. And when we need to build a new runway uh, or extend the runway or whatever it is we choose to do, we take that jam jar off the shelf and we use those funds available. Our challenge is actually we, and, and some of this thinking has been already been done, but it's not been presented to the states for any decisions, is to look at some of those alternatives. Because actually, if we were to borrow, then the, yes, we still, the taxpayers still have to pay for it, but they're paying for it in a different way. They're paying for it in terms of the interest on that loan. 
and ultimately an obligation to repay the borrowings. But that will have a material, potentially has a material impact on the size of that structural deficit. So uh, understanding the impact of the capital programme and how you choose to fund your your capital programme is material to that question of how big your structural deficit is. So uh, nobody is saying that capital, there is a magic way of doing the magic money tree that Peter frequently talks about does not exist. Capital projects cannot be delivered for free, but they can be delivered in a different way that does affect the amount of tax you have to raise between now and 2040, which is the the challenge which... which Yeah, in connection with that, I mean, I agree about the involving the private sector a lot more than has traditionally been the case. I mean, just let me give you an example, and it's an example that may come to nothing. There's talk about having a, a, a new uh, project about, uh, uh, you know, doing some work down the harbour about a new marina, all that kind of stuff. And the cost has gone up from 25 million to 90 million. I'm not quite sure how, but it has. Uh, now, the states can't afford that in any material form in, for quite some years. It's a great idea... But we should be saying to the private sector, if it is 90 million, you come up with the 90 million. We do some deal with you whereby you have rights over that for the next X number of years, you know, because they've got to get a return. Nobody's going to give you 90 million. Well, if they can, great. But it's unlikely to give you 90 million pounds. So, you know, they develop that uh, non-tidal marina, uh, but they get a return for it. I'm all in favour of that. Gavin's talked about borrowing. I think he's almost like talk about creating a permanent national debt. Now, William Pitt, I can't remember if he was the younger or the elder in the 18th century, said, well, we'll borrow money, we'll create a national debt, but we'll pay it back in 20 years. Well, that was a long time ago. We've never quite... The only person that made any real effort to pay it back was Mrs Thatcher. But it's unpayable back in the UK. Gavin, I know, is not suggesting that kind of situation. But what I think he's got in mind, what, what I can see, is that we borrow... I'm making the figure up, he hasn't said it, 300000000 million. I'm just using that figure, plucking it from the air. And in 20 years' time, we've got to pay it back. We refinance it. In another way, so you never actually really repay it back; you just reborrow it, and that might then be five hundred million. That's not the Guernsey way. I'm not saying we don't look at it in the future, but we've got an immediate problem. Um, you've both come here this morning. We're recording this on a Friday morning yeah. um, uh, from a meeting that you've had together at Frostard House. Yeah. Um, uh, presumably aimed at some form of uh, compromise ahead Indeed. of uh, the, this uh, part two of the uh, phase two tax debate. Um, did you find? Common ground? Did you find? Uh, I think we found a lot of. I think we found a lot of common ground. Uh, we found a lot of common ground. We have. Has it resulted like, in a, an, an amendment? Or, yeah, I think. Well, Gavin will have to speak because he <laughs> definitely sells me. Uh, would be uh, either bringing the amendment or liaising with us further in relation to the amendment. Uh, the likelihood is that P and R would still continue with option A, but if option A failed, we'd have an option D. Uh, and it may be, oh, that's got a lot of attractiveness. We may jump from option A to option D. I mean, Gavin's going to oppose option A and lots of other states members are going to oppose option A. There's a lot of good stuff at option D. I saw it for the first time this morning at nine o'clock. So it's still going to assimilate through and we're going to, we're going to, you know, but it, it, it's not one of those things. You sometimes look at certain things and go, oh, well, you know, um, uh, that's untenable. We've got, it's got no, no legs in it at all. This has got legs in it as an alternative, as an option instead of option A. So the obvious question, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to know, first of all, is is there a GST in option D? No. No, there's no GST. Mm-hmm. So we'd still say as P&R, Deputy Roffey, we want option A. But if option A fails, if option A fails, that's the end of the debate. Uh, sorry, if, if option A is successful, that's the end of the debate. The states have decided option A. If option A fails, 
The last thing that sensible politicians like him and me, and quite a few others want, is to leave the state's assembly on Friday with nothing, you know, other than just we've got a problem, we haven't resolved it. Now, that, there are certain steps, red lines, that you can't go over, that you just say, well, I'm sorry, we're going to have to walk away because this isn't uh, tenable. But a, a good part of the uh, proposed amendment, possible amendment, that they discussed with us this morning, we've been able to say, yeah, we can sign up to that. Are you able to uh, divulge well, some I'll details about that? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, in, in essence, um, if you recall, we were talking towards the end of the first debate in January about developing what we termed a composite amendment, um, and that that uh, sought to, to again r drag in the um, the various alternatives that have been presented, so that the states had a clear set of choices. So the approach that we are adopting is is building on that really it's saying that um that there should be uh, a sort of cascade of decisions so option a which is pnr's uh, uh preferred choice gets voted on first and if people don't like that then we look at option b and if they don't like that we look at option c and if they don't like that then either there is nothing because there's nothing else left on the table or we put something else on the table. And that's in, that's what we are now looking to do, is to put forward a fourth option, which is broadly broken down into two stages. So the stage one is about some decisions that need to be made immediately, um, and that includes some expenditure restraint over the next couple of budgets, four million a year. Um, it, it envisages some revenue uh, raising, and um, it also in, envisages making the decisions around social security reform as well. So some of the elements that we already had in the fair alternative remain there, uh, and including, for example, the, um, the uh, contributions levy um, the, from, uh, the, 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 uh, from the corporate sector is one of the key parts of our, our revenue package. And then there is a stage two, which is looking at beginning the process of looking at some of these um, longer term, more structural uh, issues, which we know affect, will affect the size of the structural deficit and the options available to us. Capital, we've already talked about. Some of the other elements of corporate taxation. So it was bringing in, for example, um, uh, Charles Parkinson's territorial uh, tax proposals. We're saying he had in his amendment the suggestion that that was the single bullet solution. Yeah. Uh, we agree with PNR that it's that it's not, but we do think that it has merit in in further work being undertaken. So we're we're proposing. Originally, it was to be a, a special committee. We've acknowledged that the states doesn't particularly like the idea of the committees, so we leave it with PNR as a responsibility to take away. But it's a direction to PNR that they need to go away and look at territorial taxation in greater depth than they've already done. We accept they've done some work. Here is the scope of work they need to do. So there's, I think when we do get to a point where we can publish and that there is still quite a bit more work to do, um, there will be quite a lot that is familiar from the, uh, from the fair alternative that was presented. Um, but it is, uh, I think, a, it, we have adapted in light of the feedback we've had from uh, from states members through the debate and from the community. Um, but the idea, as Peter said, is that we should not get to the end of, of the debate and have nothing, that there, should, that there needs to be a sensible uh, selection of, 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 of options 
of alternatives if if the states are not minded to support PNR, the senior committee's recommendation to adopt a package that is reliant on GST, in other words, option A. If the plan then is to um, have this option D debated uh, following the defeat of option A, indeed, if, that's, if that is what happens, and obviously that would require the assent of the presiding officer that it be done in that way, I guess, um, would, does it, in, and, and therefore it would come before option B, does it include any of the elements of option B, such as increases in TRP or um, and motor tax, that sort of thing? Have you taken those ideas on board and incorporated um, them? A TRP is an interesting one because the personal uh, uh, tax pensions and benefits review in 2015 made a decision that TRP was a key part of the, the, the diversification of tax base away from reliance simply on the taxation of personal incomes. And it set the states on a path, on a journey towards doubling the real value of TRP over 10 years. And up until the budget of 2021, which was Peter's first budget, that process was ongoing. Now, the new PNR came in and they put, effectively put that process on hold for a couple of years. So, if you like, we've there's been a bit of lost income and lost opportunity by that decision. So, there's a bit of there is a bit of catch up that can be played that ties in with the original state's decision back in in 2016, 2015. So, yes, TRP does play a part, but uh, not to the scale that that PNR are envisaging in option B. And also, we would be looking to. Um, structured in a way that it is focused on those with the uh, greatest ability to, to bear that. In other words, those with larger houses rather than, if you like, the, the, the uh, average house, which has already experienced quite a significant real terms increase in TRP. So it's all about um, producing something that is progressive and is balanced um, and uh, but does reflect people's ability to pay, which is an important part, particularly we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Okay, so the game it seems that, um, that you're both going to have to play from the sounds of it is that if uh, that you're going to need to come up with something by Wednesday when mm-hmm. you next meet in the Assembly, yep. which in the event that option A fails is going to be mutually agreeable to at least your well, two think, sides in preference to option B? Is it, it, well, it may be. I mean, you know, we've had one meeting for about 45 minutes yeah. uh, on this and... Uh, from PNR, there was myself and Deputy Murray. Uh, there was Deputy Salisbury, Deputy St. Pierre, and the Treasurer was there to give advice and to, you know, to listen to things, really. Uh, I'm trying to organise, but I can't, you know, I don't know what my committee members or other commitments are. Uh, a PNR meeting at 3.30 today to discuss things further, but that may not take place if, there's no point if it's just me and Deputy Murray available, <laughs> uh, in which case we'd meet sometime on Monday. And these are my ideas, and I haven't discussed it. If we think that there's mileage in this, legs in this, then we have further discussions with uh, uh, Deputy Sapir, Deputy Salisbury, whoever else want to, from, uh, you know, from not their side, you know, from their their viewpoint, and see if we can agree uh, a form of words for option D. If not, I've already said publicly that if somebody wants to bring an amendment, uh, only PNR can bring an amendment without the rules being suspended. But if somebody else wants to bring an amendment, I'm not going to vote against the suspension of the rules. In other words, I vote for the suspension of the rules. This is so important. I think that uh, all credible alternatives ought to be considered. And it's credible. I mean, whether, you know, it's wholly palatable at the moment, I've got to think it through. But uh, I liked it a lot better than I liked the original proposals that they put forward just before the last states. So it sounds as though um, some deputies who are playing a key role in all of this won't really have seen the detail of this yet. 
one springs to mind, which is Deputy Peter Roffey. Um, he's clearly uh, played a pivotal role in this tax review panel. And he's got to be consulted. Yeah. Um, so I'd ask you, Deputy St-Pierre, what there is in option D that uh, offers the sort of um, redistribution of wealth elements that are in option A that Deputy Roffey is enthusiastic about, that's well, going to bring him and others like-minded to him on board? I, I think there are, the first thing is, is it option D, unlike option B, uh, will allow the reform of Social Security, which of course is so key to, so key to Peter Roffey, to proceed. So, uh, but in addition to that, and over and above the original proposal, it also includes our suggestion um, put forward before uh, that there should be some tweaking of, of those proposals so that there actually um, there is the withdrawal of the Social Security Allowance as, in the same way as there is the tax allowance for high earners. Uh, and that is essentially, that process is, is, um, is, is fundable. Uh, and we're also incorporating an increase, proposed increase in personal tax allowances, albeit not at the original level of, of £600. So we, again, have listened to the debate. We do feel that there is an opportunity to make the whole package more progressive. Uh, and I should emphasise, of course, that this work has been done with the help and assistance and advice of officers. This isn't something that a few of us have just dreamt up on the back of... Um, uh, of an envelope that there, is, there has been professional input into the, the numbers so we can have some degree of comfort around the package actually holding together as a package. I think the key point is uh, absolutely accept that Peter has um, uh, some discussions to have with his colleagues. I think irrespective of where we get to, there will be a, a, an option D, uh, its final form to be determined. It'll either be presented... Um, uh, you know, as part of, of something that PNR is happy the state's debate, in which case it'll it, it potentially it becomes a PNR amendment. So it's incorporated within theirs. But if not, then we will be looking for the rules to be suspended and to give that state that alternative. So, one way or another, out of out of this process, whether it's uh, with the full endorsement of PNR or without, the states will be given the opportunity to debate this if they wish to take it. Okay, so if if we follow this path that you've both described, at what point in the process do the likes of Deputy Gollop and Matthews get their opportunity to bring in their particular amendments um, regarding exemptions, for example? Well, I mean, Jeff, he could fall by the wayside anyway. That, that's a matter for the presiding officer, uh, and I don't mean that in a dismissive way. My initial view is we we either have PNR's amendment, which you've seen. Uh, or we have a composite amendment with options A to D, which P&R and perhaps uh, Deputy Salisbury, Deputy to Pierre could, you know, because we want them to be able to make a full contribution. Because if we bring it as our amendment, uh, then we open and we close, and that's they, they should have the right to make a more than one speech. Anyway, we could work that detail out between us. If not, and we just bring ours, and then they bring theirs as option D, then the discussion we had this morning, subject to the presiding officer, is that we agree to debate it as one debate. Right. You know, in other words, it, you throw everything into the mix together, uh, and I'm sure that could happen. Uh, that wouldn't preclude anybody bringing either current amendments that haven't been debated or any further amendments they might want to, to lay. Uh, it wouldn't be, oh, well, you can't lay this amendment, uh, Deputy Matthews, or you can't lay that amendment, Deputy Gollop. They would still be able to do those. But that would be a matter for the presiding officer as to what order he takes them, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you and your committee will still be uh, starting from the premise that 
um, GST, as unpopular as it might be, is the only way to enable yep. the kind of reforms and redistributions that you're you're aiming indeed, for. Indeed, indeed. And you know, as you said at the beginning, we didn't want to go over uh, because it's well aired what we're saying. For those reasons about distribution, you know, the tax band of thirty thousand pounds, fifteen percent, etc., etc., the increase in personal allowances, increase in benefits, uh, the re the reform of social security, with which Deputy Roffey has led very ably, those are the reasons. We, we would still be saying option A is the option you should follow, but we've got to be alive to the fact that that bit might succeed. And the last thing we want to do is throw our toys out the pram and say, we haven't got option A, you know, blow you states. That would be irresponsible in the extreme. So we've got option B, but it may be that option D is, uh, is as attractive or more attractive. As I say, we've seen it just briefly this morning. We need to think about it. My colleagues, as I sit here, have, perhaps haven't seen it, or it may have been sent to the by now, because I know Deputy Salisbury has sent a copy to the Treasurer, and I've asked that it be distributed to the other members of PNRA, SAP, and to Deputy Roffey. So it may be they've read it as we've been talking here this morning. And Deputy Mayor, I'd, like, I'd like to ask you um, about your um, your views on GST. I mean, is is your opposition to this uh, suite of proposals that's coming from PNR? based on the practicability of bringing in a GST rather than the notion of a GST in itself? Because you, yeah. you've been active in keeping it on the table in the past. So you, well, you're not you're not um, politically opposed to it as so much as worried about it being the solution right now, isn't no, it? No, I mean, I, I, my position has been, um, has been very clear and has been stated many times publicly, and I'm very happy to repeat them here on, on uh, take this opportunity to repeat them. Uh, I led the argument in 2015, I co-led the argument in 2015 with former Deputy Alistair Longley, uh, who was at the time the Minister for, for um, Social Security, in the Personal Tax Pensions Benefits Review in 2015, that GST should remain on the table as one of the options available to the states, and that lever should not be taken away. The states voted by 28 votes to 18, so by a significant two-thirds, one-third majority, um, to take it off the table. And I said, well, in that case, we go into the next term, i.e. 2016 to 20, and GST is off the agenda. I then went into the 2020 election um, as one of the few people who was, uh, you know, was not uh, uh, categoric that GST uh, could not play part of our future. So I've always uh, kept the door open for GST. My objection to this set of proposals is, is, one of them is very practical, is that I'm afraid it's too late in this term. Um, PNR have lost 18 months. They had originally brought proposals in June 2021 um, and effectively withdrew those proposals, and, and we've now got the second stage of this debate. The consequence of that is GST cannot practically be introduced before the next election by which time it will then become a, um, a it will turn the general election into a single issue referendum on GST and we know the strength of opposition and that I think is dangerous for democracy so that's a practical objection. The second reason I'm concerned about it is that uh, PNR have not carried the community with them and this was a lesson that we learnt in 2015 but has been sort of collectively forgotten between 2015 and 2023, for such a major and significant change, which is is so opposed uh, by the public, it requires a significant level of public engagement 
in a way that I, I know there have been public meetings and so on, but in terms of um, uh, the level of, of communication and the understanding of the nature of the problem and that this is the solution. If you look at what happened in 2006, in 2006, with uh, Deputy Trott leading the arguments for 010, which was equally unpopular at the time, uh, it was got through the states, but it was on the back of 117 public engagements that he had over a year. If you look at Jersey's experience of GST in the mid-2000s, it was also significant levels of, of public engagement in the period leading up to it. So I think I haven't, I have, what more could uh, P&R and the Treasury team have done this well, time around? I mean, uh, there may have been fewer engagements, but obviously the zero ten happened before Facebook's live streaming, for example. So you know, there's been access to, uh, for the population of Guernsey to em um, endless tax briefings. There's been a huge amount of media coverage. I've lost count of the number of times I've written the phrase 15% uh, on income tax up to £30,000. Mm. Um, and there's been leaflet drops through people's doors. There have been um, advertisements. What more could have been done to engage people? I think, I, I mean, I think the other, I think quite a lot more is the answer. I mean, I don't think the leaf, one leaflet drop um, at the very end of the process, uh, seeking to explain what the proposals were, and and the leaflet itself was not that readily uh, understandable. I, I think um, it didn't particularly help. I think it's the loss of trust and confidence in in government uh, in, during this process, in that there is not the belief in the community that whether it's happened or not. Is is, an issue, is is a separate issue, but the perception is that government has not done enough to restrain expenditure, to lift every stone, to look at every alternative. That's what you need to convince the public bef before you can move ahead with this, that you have done that. And until you've gone through that process in a way that enables the government, uh, the public, to say, yeah, we, we don't like it, but we can see there is no alternative. The public do not believe there is no alternative. That's the, the concern. The other element I would say, the other lesson that we learned in 2015 that I think has not been taken forward is that the proposals in 2015 <coughs> probably were not radical enough in the sense that they were seen to be simply reorganising the deck chairs to raise the same amount of revenue. And I think similarly this time, they are seen to be simply an additional tax as opposed to you are not taking this opportunity to fundamentally reorganise um, not only government but also our whole our whole tax system. So I think there, I think we are. We are. I mean, you know, the fifteen percent that uh, some refer to the fifty percent tax ban. The corporate looking at corporate. I mean, I'm not a corporate lawyer. Uh, you know, I've argued all kinds of cases for many years, but I'm not a corporate lawyer. What we said was that. We know we need revenue, whether it's X million or Y million. We know we need a significant chunk of revenue. And go back to that document that you led in uh, January 2020. We talked about you know, between 72 and 136 extra million pounds worth of extra revenue. And that was three years ago before COVID. Uh, we said to experts, independent experts, you go away and you come back and get us as much from the corporate tax structure as you can. So if they could have come back and said 100 million, we'd have said yabba dabba do. We'd have really been... We came back and we tested them. We didn't just accept what they said. That's why, if you recall, the debate was in uh, phase one of the tax review, if we now call it. It was September, October uh, 21. Mm. We were due to come back to the States in July uh, 22. The reason we didn't is because we were going backwards and forwards. 
with uh, Ernst and Young over a period of time, and we didn't get their final report till late September uh, 22. So that's why we came back in, and we weren't going to come back at Christmas. That's why we came back in in January. And they came up with what we've seen. And uh, I mean, we've seen examples of two examples today. Uh, well, not today, one today, whereby if you overtax uh, your corporate structure, look at uh, AstraZeneca, they're going to go to Ireland to build their new plant rather than Macclesfield because it's 25% corporate tax from, in the UK from uh, April. It's 12.5% in Ireland. Uh, and also Scotland, there was something about high earners in Scotland are leaving Scotland because they're being overtaxed in Scotland. So we've got to strike that balance. Uh, we've got to have discussions with Jersey and the Isle of Man. Uh, and I know we propose that. And Gavin's new amendment, new option also proposes that. We've got to do that. Uh, there is the willingness to do it. And we've already started that process, but it has to continue. Uh, absolutely. And, but I just want to build on that last point, because as, as Peter said, the discussions need to be had with those other jurisdictions, but in terms of the for the public, the public need to know that that's happened, and there is an outcome. So, for example, uh, you know, could zero ten become zero twelve and a half or zero fifteen? Well, it clearly can't unless we choose to move in tandem with Jersey and the Isle of Man. Now, if for whatever reason Jersey and the Isle of Man say thank you very much, Guernsey, but we're not remotely interested, well, then we absolutely know that that is not an option. And that's, that's the point I'm seeking to make, is that, uh, that in order to build, uh, the, uh, rebuild the public's trust and confidence that uh, that government has done everything it can, some of those steps need to happen first. So th- it's a very long answer to your question as to where I am on that GST, uh, GST journey. Um, you know, tax economists, I've, again, I've said this before, I'm not saying anything I haven't, uh, haven't said before, Tax economists will tell you that, that GST, consumption taxes, are a really efficient form of taxation because they don't distort and change people's behaviours. In other words, if you need to go out and buy a pint of milk, you need to go out and buy a pint of milk. You can't avoid the tax by buying it. Um, it's going to Jersey to buy it. It's not practical. So all of those reasons uh, that, that GST is so popular right around the world for governments um, have equal applicability to Guernsey, but it is a practically impossible in the time frame, as I've said. But also, it is politically undeliverable until you have got the community on side. You will never get everybody on side, but uh, there is a lot more work that needs to be done, and there is a lot more work that needs to be done by government to show that it has done everything it can in relation to expenditure restraint, in relation to reorganising itself and in relation to other forms of revenue raising. So those those are the reasons. And that's why the option D is structured as a two-stage approach. That is a long journey, isn't it, of, of, of effectively public information uh, and education, in a way, I suppose. I mean, the, the, the I've, I've tested out by, you know, chats uh, around the pool table of, of a Wednesday night in the league, um, but by mentioning to people that economists regard a GST as one of the most effective ways to tax the to tax the very wealthy and because they just can't avoid it and it it comes as news to most people that that's how it's regarded so um, most people think uh, it just hits the poorest and that's and you've both said in the past on its own it does but obviously there there are other things in play and now I'm conscious of the fact that we uh, are limited to time today oh, yes. gentlemen <laughs> um, so um, 
uh, I'd, normally as a journalist, you know, I'd be I'd be tempted to sort of stoke the fire a bit and get, get a lively, angry debate going. I have to say, as an islander and a taxpayer, I'm delighted to hear about the uh, the extent of this sort of rapprochement and the positivity of your meeting that you've had this morning. I think is is it fair to say that um, you know, for the sake of uh, island taxpayers, that what needs to come before the states uh, on Wednesday uh, is is going to have to be a, a set of proposals that that is not going to be perceived as a victory for one side or the other but actually something that is a a, a compromise that you're all on board with and I guess the onus for that um, drafting is is more with you deputy st Pierre um, can can we come on along on Wednesday and witness the two of you playing nicely I think we will I mean because we're still going to be PNR etc I say etc. That's Peter. It's very important, etc. Still saying for the reasons that I'm not going to outline again because I've said it before that we should have option A. If option A fails, then we've got to come up with either a B or a D. Nobody would really want C, uh, and we'll see where we get to. But it's very constructive. I think we've still got mileage. You know, as I say, we're going to try and organise a PNR meeting for this afternoon. If that's not possible, there won't be one on Monday. Uh, it visits further discussions with. Uh, uh, with Gavin and Heidi and whoever else they want from uh, you know, their viewpoint and see if we can come up with something as an option, as an option. Uh, we're not going to give up on option A, but we've got to realise that that may fail. Politics is the art of the possible, so you don't always get everything that, that you want. And, and so, yes, inevitably that involves does involve uh, compromise and acceptance of the political reality. Um, so... Uh, I, I th the important thing is that we emerge from next week with some practical steps and decisions having been taken, uh, even if it's accepted that there is more work to be done that follows that. But at least we should not walk away after uh, two lengthy debates and in a uh, having burned the whole house down with everything rejected. And that, in essence, is the objective of, of seeking to bring a further amendment. OK, well, the uh, debate resumes on Wednesday and continues through into Thursday and Friday. On this occasion, any reserve days uh, set aside? Or I don't think if, so. If I think on by Friday, do we go into March? Is that the plan? I, well, I, I think we probably reappraise that Thursday afternoon, wouldn't we? Right. But okay. I would hope we can. I mean, uh, we're not going to have to repeat all the arguments for option A because they've been said. Uh, it depends on the discipline, doesn't it? The yeah. discipline of states members. That's not our control. No, okay. Well, that will be down to the presiding officer to uh, to see through, and everyone playing nicely. Um, but you can rest assured, whether it gets finished in February or goes on till March, uh, we on the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast will be bringing you daily reviews of each uh, day of uh, deliberation in the state's assembly. So um, stay on this podcast feed for that. Deputy St Pierre, Deputy Fairbrush, thank you very much thank for you. joining me this morning. Thank, thank you very you. much. <laughs>